0: Uh, nah,
1: nah. Okay. Ooh, sponsorship. Yeah, Contigo. Thank you for sponsoring our podcast and the so devotee This was fifty percent off.
0: <laughs> They're only offering it to exclusive people who got the email.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just super happy about that. Um, Stanley was way too expensive, but I appreciate Contigo. Um, so the last, I don't know six weeks prior to november the stock market was doing really poorly and then for whatever reason well when we predicted that it would change <laughs> i don't think so maybe it doesn't really matter actually but the it seems like a switch has turned in november mm-hmm. it's like everybody has started to or they've worked through their tax law selling from 2022 and 2023 and now everyone's bullish for santa and um <laughs> The funny reality is when people refer to Seattle, Seattle or Santa Claus rallies, it's actually the last five days of the year, and then the first two or three days of 2024. Mm. That is the the real Santa Claus rally occurs then. Um, like that when Santa is Santa's
0: out doing his thing.
1: Well, yeah, and taking his break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they're when they're reviewing Santa's numbers for the year. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and then the insiders find out yeah. that they were good.
0: Yeah, he releases his earnings report.
1: Yeah, exactly. So. That has been an interesting development. We are hitting up on what I would say is a lot of overhead supply in terms of pricing in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ and uh, just the overall global index. However, the narrative of a 2024 recession is becoming increasingly um, more consistent across Mm. pretty much the board when you're talking to economists, to people that are chief investment officers, I mean, even at my firm, that's definitely the the going assumption is that we're going to see a economic recession. But again, stock market recession is not equal to that of a economic recession. Right. I, th- I think you're seeing a lot of, I mean, yesterday
0: I feel like I saw, or last week we talked about kind of for the last few weeks, like Walmart um, or some of the big grocery retail um, outlets. I think I saw Canadian Tire yesterday release a report as well. Just talking about how they're seeing consumer spending change 100% and, and go down. And so that's the kind of messaging I think that everyone was waiting for that you're starting to see, like you said, um, from the economic recession standpoint.
1: Yeah. So, DataTrack had a really great chart out actually that talked about the the most recent four recessions. I, I didn't throw this in the notion, but. Uh, the last four were 2020, so the pandemic crisis, 2007 to 2011, which was the financial crisis. Everyone probably remembers that. Uh, the dot-com bubble burst of and 9-11, so that would have been 2000 to 2004. Mm-hmm. And then the Gulf War, which was 1990 to 1993. And each one of these instances, so I'll, I'll go back and reverse the same direction, so from the pandemic through back to the Gulf War. The percent decline in the S&P earnings – Peak to trough for the pandemic crisis was 22.1%. For the financial crisis, it was 56.7%. For the dot-com bubble, it was 30.1%. And for the Gulf War, it was 16.3%. So from trough to to peak, you had a much shorter time horizon for the pandemic crisis. But the financial crisis was, was incredibly long. It was actually nine months or nine quarters, which is... Mm. A little over two years, um, the dot com bubble was six, and then the Gulf War was six. So the averaging out to about six point three, and the average S and P earnings decline was thirty one point three percent, which is a lot. I don't think we are quite ready to deal with what a economic contraction of thirty one percent is, or a market contraction of thirty one percent is. In twenty twenty two, we had s and P stock market contraction of twenty two percent which was a lot, uh, the, the, the NASDAQ was down 38 or something like that at its, at its worst. And that was really rough. So are we gonna see it again? I'm not quite sure, but I believe right now, the way in which we have priced equities at the moment is not assuming. People that are buying stocks right now do not believe we're gonna actually go into a recession next year. Everyone's talking about it but they're not pricing it that way. And stocks do drop when we go into an economic recession. Uh, that is uh, 100% true. It's just which one which which narrative is going to rule today? And and obviously it's going to probably proceed or it's not going to proceed, it's going to follow mm-hmm. an actual economic contraction. Right now we're starting to see a slowing, but it's not baked in. There's th- there's no certainty that we're going to see an economic recession at the moment. This is what the Fed and the Bank of Canada and most um, policy setters are trying to see. We want to see a contraction in spending. We want to see uh, a contraction in activity. This was what the intention of raising rates was. We they want to break the 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 constant bidding up of prices, right? So, will they be able to um, balance this out and stop the bleeding at the right time? That is going to be the. The grand question, the mm-hmm. the thing that'll pay the most, and right now markets and investors are battling with one another or trying to price what is the right answer to that question, and it's impossible to know because we don't we don't know how long Tiff MacLum going to keep rates this tight. Yeah. We don't know how long J- Jerome Powell's going to do it. And again, we 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 reference back to that that um the Infinity Stone and and um the Avengers End Game, and we talk about okay if if Jerome Powell is the guy who's holding the timepiece. He's the one who knows when he's going to start cutting rates. He's never going to signal it to you. So, yeah, there's a lot of commentary, I think, on on Twitter about how does this guy get paid to say this? Well, I mean, and it gets paid pretty well. <laughs> I mean, relative to his net worth, it doesn't matter to him. But um, it's it's interesting that he's effectively getting paid hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to make people lose their jobs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really backwards, right? But his, his, his position in, in the marketplace is to look out for what's our best interests. And whether or not you agree that people losing their job is in the best interest of the economy, um, other trained people would assume or would tell you that inflation's worse than um, unemployment, which is maybe true. Mm-hmm. I, the commentary i've i've heard even listening to podcasts and people complaining about costs of everything i've finally been able to spend more time going in and, and um seeing re- like regular people instead of listening to them on television or on podcasts or in books or whatever mm-hmm. because those aren't real people those don't live, they don't real live real lives they're generally outrageously wealthy they're famous they don't they don't experience life the same way that you and i do right mm-hmm. and talking to regular people, going to birthday parties for kids and and those sorts of things. And it's still quite clear to me that it's expensive for everyone to live. And listening to, in my opinion, Walmart earnings, Costco earnings, um, hearing stories from the CEO of MasterCard and Visa, that's what I'd rather be listening to Mm. than going and um, taking your your beads of of where the, the market's going based on what Mark Zuckerberg's seeing, or what Joe Rogan's feeling, or that, okay, your favorite podcast host who likely makes five or six or seven times the average income mm-hmm. is feeling, because that just isn't a great uh, subset. Yeah. No, it's a horrible, horrible subset. And you're better off using anecdotal data from going to your three-year-old's birthday party than using the feelings and, and daily life of, of Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and Elon Musk. Shooting darts or um, arrows, arrows at trucks. their cyber truck. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that's that's a good point. I, I think
0: the messaging from some of these, I guess, consumer spending staples that you just kind of listed off there. I think as we are starting to see that that shift in messaging, and maybe some of the stuff that people were predicting was going to happen at some point, based off of obviously where interest rates have gone and how the crunch has been placed on. Um, from a boring sense as well as from an inflation sense um, in North America here. So I think you're right. I mean, I, I think when you talk to, you, you're starting to, to realize that the decision making for the common household is, you know, there's really starting to be some. Yeah. Pennies pinched, I guess, at the end of the yeah. day. Credit and card delinquencies are rising. Rising, yeah. And and consumer you... and corporate delinquent or insolvencies
1: are rising. It's yeah, I talked to a friend two days ago who does corporate restructuring and bankruptcy and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. He said that he's getting busy. Mm-hmm. And that's in Canada. So mm-hmm. I I'm we're now above pre-pandemic delinquencies on credit card rates. Mm-hmm. That is if you're the Fed trying to break the economy, oh, great news. Mm-hmm. For everyone else, you're like, this is bad. Mm-hmm. And it is.
0: Um, I think another thing, though, like, just as an aside to that, because like, I mean, I, I was pretty green, ignorant to what consumer or corporate insolvency or restructuring is. It's a smart thing to go and talk to those experts when you're in a situation um, in, in any kind of financial strife situation with your, either in your personal life or as a, as a corporation. So it's like, I, I think, obviously, like you said, it's a good indicator um, from what we're talking about right now, but it's also something that I think we need to highlight to say, like, that is a resource that is available to people to assist in with you getting off the mat
1: as well. And, and you know, contrary to all of this, um, we think about how this is, the, the, the consumer is what seems to me fairly pessimistic. Like people are pretty upset and it's showing in the, in the search data it's showing in. And when you do any sort of, um, what is it when you poll people? Polling. Yeah. Is it polling data? Surveying? Survey. Yeah. So all the survey Insert g- the data. Insert the Jeopardy music there. Yeah. for <laughs> The survey data right now is effectively showing that human beings are fairly bearish. But the weird dynamic is that they themselves believe their situation is better, but they think everyone mm-hmm. else's is worse. Right. It's a really weird situation. It's kind of like, are you an above average driver? <laughs> 85% Just or 80%. Yeah. 80% <laughs> of people think they are, right? Yeah. It's it's weird. The sentiment is that everything's bad. And I think this is what is so dangerous about inflation. It makes everything so painful because prices have gone up, right? But the reality of the matter is, is that people are still well funded. People still have a pretty decent amount of money. When you look at especially the United States specifically, like when you look at their their um their debt to earnings, it's still in a really great place. The United States, like, and you remove the rest of the globe, is significantly better off than the rest of the planet. I mean, this is just the, the beauty of them allowing the, their consumers to debt out their, their mortgages 30 years and not have a changing rate. That has been a huge relief on them, whereas the rest of the world hasn't done that. Which means that they're much more sensitive to interest rates rising. Yeah. And in my opinion, we're going into Christmas season. The while people are upset about the cost of goods, we are, as a North American people, obsessed with spending money. And we're not gonna stop. If anything, our superpower is our consumption. Whereas the rest of the world is not that way. I was we're resilient. Yeah, we're yeah, super resilient. I was listening to uh, compound episode on my way in this morning and the there was a professor of duke uh economics was was on their podcast and he was talking about the the three ways that an economy can decide to deal with government debt and how to to avoid it and it's effectively, you can raise taxes to pay for your, the debt that you have. So in the United States, they're at like 32 or $33 trillion. The one option is raising taxes. What do you think the reaction to that is? That's super bad for, for growth. Mm-hmm. The, the other option is to spend less. They're never going to do that. Everyone knows politicians. They're, they're, they're incentivized on a four-year schedule to get reelected. How do you get reelected? You give money away. The next is growth. And that has always been the only option because that's the only stomachable one. And that's why our incentives as human beings has always been not in reverse to consume less. It's always the opposite. And that is to, in my opinion, grow more. Mm -hmm. And growth uh, incentive is where we need to focus on. So GDP growth is always gonna be the number one thing for me. It's it's backward looking, but that is where, that's our only solution to this debt problem is to grow our way out of it. Because as you grow at four or 5% on an annual basis, you're out clipping the cost of money, you're out clipping everything. It actually raises all boats. So I don't know, this long tangent of where we are in the market, I'm of the opinion that I don't think we're, I'm as bearish as everybody else seems to be. It's easy to be bearish, it sells, it's sexy, it's what people wanna hear, I mean, as an Edmontonian and an Euler fan, uh, if you're if you're trying to sell a radio show, you're not going to be super bullish on the Oilers right now. Um, but at the same time, it's you got to you got to be you have to be um, true to yourself and like you can't view where we are right now and be super bullish. Mm-hmm. I, I think that here's what I I, I kind of came to the realization of. And it's 2020, the entire economy shut down. We lowered interest rates to zero and we gave away free money. We went into a recession for a very short period of time. Yep. We then busted out the other direction and we saw stocks go to the moon. We saw the economy get way too hot. Housing prices go to the moon. Everything was absolute insanity. Then we raised interest rates at the fastest rate ever. I'm viewing this as like a pendulum that's Mm -hmm. swinging. I think we are likely gonna go into a recession a mild one. We already saw the stock market go into a secondary one last year. Now the economy is going to follow it. I believe that our our landing that's coming is going to be generally fairly soft because our monetary pol- people are setting policy for us are very capable of controlling their their gun. Right. We've gotten so much better at it. Our recessions have become shorter with the exception of the financial crisis due to the fact that we understand what controls the consumer better than ever before. We have better mm-hmm. tools at our disposal. So, which, like, to be fair, the
0: financial crisis, it's like, I mean, it, to us, it seems like a short time ago, but <laughs> this is over a decade ago. Yeah. It's a
1: long time. And how we much were is a whopping 18
0: years old? And in terms of like the information at fingertips that's now available in comparison to even then,
1: Ozempic's oh, going to save us.
0: Ozempic and custom chat GPT.
1: Yeah, so our next topic, I want to talk about the OpenAI Developer Day or whatever they want to call it. So Sam Altman got on stage, it was 45 minutes long. I think if you are a person who listens to a lot of tech podcasts, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I've already heard about all this. But for those that haven't, um, they started to sort of release... No, that day, that's actually the best part about that 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 developer conference is that everything that they were talking about on stage mm-hmm. became available that night. Which when Apple goes and releases yeah. a product they're like, "Yeah, this is coming 6 months later." Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. you've forgotten about it.
0: Yeah. Um, but in this, you've forgotten, they've already pre-ordered it for $1400. <laughs> yeah.
1: committed to it Yeah. because you need it. Um, it's it it they were there's a big upgrade to 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 OpenAI's ChatGPT model. Mm-hmm. It, for the last, call it year, maybe six months, you had to, if you were a plus subscriber like me, mm-hmm. you had access to GP, GPT-4. For those that didn't want to pay the $20, $25 a month, you you only had access to GPT-3.5. And that's just a straight-up bandwidth issue? Um, well, that plus... It's just not trained on as much information. Sure. I don't know how many pieces of information each one is, mm-hmm. each model is trained on. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But my, my basic understanding of this is just like slightly better than the average person, I think. But now it is uh, the the UI. When you go on to ChatGPT, yep. you no longer have to select for what you want to accomplish. It now is all inclusive. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, it is also currently... Um, trained on the internet and has access to browsing, which it never did previously. It also has the ability to create images. It allows for you to add significantly more text. So my understanding is, is that the new GPT Turbo, GPT-4 Turbo, now allows you to upload 335 pages of a book to then use as something that you're including or to analyze or to build upon. That wasn't possible before. Mm-hmm. So. That was kind of the the beginning of what they were doing. But then they started to go throughout the 45-minute presentation into the new apps that they were going to produce. And it was kind of shocking. They put this poster image behind Sam Altman, and it was, if you have previously looked at all the apps on your phone, it was all of those that GPT was now going to produce. You are now going to be able to create GPTs. So, Are you saying the all-in app? The All In app. <laughs> produced by the All
0: In podcast. Oh no, I was just saying, like, hasn't hasn't this story been told before? The yeah.
1: one stop app yeah. for everything. But what's but. most interesting is the fact that you can go and build your own. Yeah. And the the tools that it has you have available to you is kind of interesting. So of course, me being super selfish and only, only interested in something that could help me, I went and built like a Shackleton wealth companion. So, someone who could be a financial advisor to, to help me. And I started training it on all the information that I think is relevant to anyone who wants to be as. Uh- so,
0: give me an example. I think, like, the training piece, I think, is an interesting. I think you hear that term, or training it, like, in, in the sense of uh, a GPT in this case. What does that mean? Good question. What does that mean? But if, if- in terms of, like, what did you use, like, in terms of loading the information? So, like, what did you continue to prompt it with in order
1: to. So, my GPTs is a app builder inside of ChatGPT. Okay. And you can now create a GPT. So as ChatGPT is a chatbot that then answers questions for you, you can create something like a data analyst GPT. You can create a negotiator GPT. You can create a image-generating GPT. So you're giving the robots purpose exactly. and a role. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. We're doing good. Um, and now we're just going to let everyone Consciousness. do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can have math with gpt you can have a sous chef gpt all of these things are examples of of what they were mentioning but also like even messaging app gpts for responding to clients whatever right Mm -hmm. um so i decided i wanted a wealth advisor Mm -hmm. companion gpt and i was going to train it on all the information that i think is really relevant and i started to plug in um just like psycho psychological information Mm -hmm. so to to help Identify biases in, in conversation. I started to plug in the Canadian tax code. I wanted to plug in um, a bunch of stuff specific to industries that I or sectors that I am I work within. So right. small oil and gas business owners, physicians. Those are the groups that I, I tend to focus on. Mm-hmm. I wanted all of the data or information and blogs that I think are relevant to those those topics. I wanted to train it on. You then plug in market, historical market Research from Michael Mabuson and and Fred wilson and 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 um, Adam j- Smith yes <laughs> oh God. no uh, you start to add these these thought leaders, yep. and you you end up getting a GPT that I, I'm somewhat underwhelmed with, but it is a start to something, and I think for once, and I, I was reading something last night where they said that uh, the the actual Productivity of Canadian or not Canadians the the American um, worker employee mm-hmm. has gone down the last two years, and that, you that, that was their evidence that AI doesn't do anything. And mm. I mean that's clearly backward looking. This is very new. The average I think they have a hundred million monthly active users on ChatGPT. That is not a sad – it hasn't – everyone's not using this thing. Well, I think the thing, too, with
0: the productivity statistics, it's going to take a while for this to be flushed out because I also feel like we're learning – if you're a business owner or if you're someone who's maybe delegating something to somebody who you think, okay, they're, they're going to be able to do this faster because of X, Y, and Z – but you don't know how much faster. No. Right? So I, I I deal I deal in a in a job where there's time budgets on things, or at least that's what that, there's a goal set on a on a deliverable, right? And so when you're when you communicate what a deliverable should be, it's and it's no one's fault, but it's automatically assumed. It's like that's how long it's gonna take me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not very many people think, okay, well, I'm gonna get it done in 75% of that time. It's like this is what it's going to take me to get this done well yeah if
1: you're a law firm you're like this this deliverable is 10 hours yeah i charge 800 dollars an hour we're going to charge the client eight grand i want it done in four hours like which would be, gra- which which and would so be the, great and so the
0: shifting of that of of the idea of the pressure going down and then also like you said we're in the first like I know there's been multiple iterations of this already but in the whole scheme of things we're in the first iteration of any of this oh, being we're,
1: inning, we're in the first out of inning one like, right
0: there's we're right. not even close so you think about fast forward and you know I, I think probably you know your firm I know my firm like we're thinking like five years out and kind of trying to project out how we're going to be using this some of this technology in our our jobs Is like that's it's the long-term push to say like we need to start getting on this Now, which I know we've been saying for over a year kind of thing. But again, when you got these these massive warships of businesses, it's really hard to turn that ship in the middle of the sea. So you have to work at it slowly. But it's we incumbent on the next generation of you know business leaders and owners, etc., to start educating themselves and using these things now. So that way in you know, a year, two years, three years, five years, ten years, it becomes second nature, and this is really just built into the model. And yeah. that's that's the thing that I I find like when you, when you were you were showing me your the little bot that you have been working with, and I it's just so it, it it does feel like one of those things where it's the the solutions or the where you could get to is so broad right now, and you're like, oh my god, there's so many things I can do with this. It's probably going to have to become more focused, obviously, over time, because I feel like you could, from an efficiency standpoint, you could do so many things, whereas then now you're spending all that time keeping up with the maintenance of maintaining the knowledge or the the structure of those assistants in this case. But overall, it's just, it's amazing that this stuff is just available, like you said, announced at 8 a.m., available at 8 p.m.
1: It's wild. Wild. And- And for those that don't quite understand what I'm even talking about here, I I implore you to go and give it a shot Mm -hmm. and play around with it. Because I believe that the biggest value that can be created for an individual using these things is actually to just start building it out today. In the same way that I, in 2019, 2020, kind of when TikTok started to just become interesting in edmonton or canada <laughs> or even the united states i had a podcast that got i don't know it's probably got a hundred times the views of all the other ones and it was about the prediction of tiktok and it's not because i'm some sort of genius but i and this is a stolen theory from you. how many times a week do you watch that i know just <laughs> just like man was i right no, no, um, no views on no this. but it was this it was a stolen idea kind of based around eugene Weis theory of of going and finding where the waterfall, waterfall of, of opportunity is, and then mm-hmm. just start to build there. Um, the waterfall of opportunity in social media has always been, we're all new, we're things that are rapidly growing uh, with users. You could s- There's a, a constraint in social media where people don't like to overspend their following. So basically what I'm suggesting is, is that on TikTok, we don't care about following 10, 15, 20,000 people or 2,000 people, whereas on Instagram people are, they view their following. Yeah. As something that they have to constrain, mm-hmm. they want to have a similar amount of followers as they are following. Mm-hmm. Whereas on TikTok, that's not the same dynamic. And not only that, there was so much new users coming to the platform without having any sort of incumbent there that was the dem- was demanding all the airtime. You could create a following from nothing. You could be someone who is irrelevant right. or no one or someone who wasn't didn't have a big following somewhere else and build one there. I think that this is something that's so new. That is so early that if you go and you build something there, you can create a new business because there's so many people coming to the space. You don't have an incumbent competition mm-hmm. and you will just be able to build something great. I believe there are apps being created here that you're going to be able to make public that you can make money on. Mm-hmm. But more importantly, I think for those that were are benefiting from the fact that they learned how to use Excel at the beginning of their careers are now benefiting from the fact that they are so much farther ahead of everyone else it's like young kids that got into exercise at 10 mm. they're still super fit um, it's mm. it, people being well <laughs> I mean the data shows that if you're fat as a nine month old you're likely as going to be a nine month old yeah from if you are I, we are going <sighs> to get off was a terrible from, tangent I was screwed from the start <laughs> <laughs> well so was I technically um, you end up you're more likely to stay unhealthy throughout your entire life. Right. It's just kind of like this ingrained compounding of bad things. I believe that this is a compounding of being early. You Mm -hmm. can then create something great. So I'm not suggesting that like my idea is the way to go for anybody, but I do believe that for those that are trying to build something new have an advantage, an early moving advantage, you are not Mm -hmm. late to this. Mm -hmm. And an early moving advantage in new technology is the fact that there's nobody else there. There is an option here that you can make your GPT public for others to use. And they made it quite clear that they're going to allow GPT creators to earn an income based on these things. GPTs are not going to be free forever. As as a lot of people have predicted, you mean the, like the, Netflix? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, damn it! Remember when Uber was free? Yeah, <laughs> um, they're not going to be free for forever. And I do think that the importance of these AI models is going to become or er, er, increase as we train them more specifically on areas. Mm-hmm. So. Accounting might be a good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, legal advice might be a good example. I actually think the medical space is going to be the, the most impacted by this because mm-hmm. it's already has, I mean, it's so important to, to, to be able to draw on so much information yeah. and then convey it to people. Yeah. There's a lot of options here. I'm not, I don't know where to point people in a direction. I know what I'm going to be building it on because that's just my bias. That's where I can actually make money. But for those that are, I'm seeing weight, don't seriously just go and try and build on it because it's gonna be worth your time. And if you can compound it early, those people that you saw that were stupid making TikTok videos that now have 25,000 to 10 million person followings, they're way richer than you. You're making fun of them, but now they are the creators. It's easier to make fun of them. It is.
0: (laughs) I think one thing too that I saw, or that I'm seeing out of what this is turning into, and I guess the customization of what you can do with some of these options, Is that like further to the narrative of, or the, I guess the discussion around what is AI, is it enhancing us or is it taking away from us in terms of like taking away jobs? That's kind of the the two AI discussions are, is it going to get consciousness and turn into iRobot or, and then the other discussion or negative discussion is around replacing our jobs essentially. And yes, like, I mean, is there going to be attrition in certain areas? Yeah. hundred percent. That's just a natural, there's been attrition due to technology. We'll be electricians instead of, like, professionals, Cam. <laughs> well, no, what I'm saying is that there's always been cycles of attrition as a result of advancements in every walk of life. So, like, let's not pretend that that hasn't happened before. So, but what I'm saying is that there's certain, so I'm thinking of even, like, an assistance position at a professional services firm. If you can train yourself on some of, how much more efficient can you become mm-hmm. in your day-to-day with what you're doing using something like you're building yourself some of your monotonous tasks or whatever it might be or repeatable tasks things that you want done efficiently the same way copy over and over and over again this could be an example of something that you can build out and use and and use to help in your day-to-day it's mm-hmm. not It's. i think a lot of it's sometimes just pointed towards more com like a higher level positions sometimes, or more complex ideas. I think the things that I've seen the biggest success from watching other people use it is getting rid of the things that we hate doing over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. How many times have you Googled the same thing? Over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. Where yeah. it's like maybe you can build something that just locks something in for you. So I I think obviously this open AI stuff is is great to read about and and see and, and I I I would I guess repeat or um confirm your thoughts to say play around with it. That's the least you can do in this case is at least get comfortable with it on your on your personal time. And the other thing is i've started to see online some snippets of microsoft's kind of rollout from i guess into the their existing microsoft office space and what that's going to look like and i think that's already starting to be obviously like demoed by a lot of like the the beta or the the first rollout of a lot of things from the from Microsoft's perspective. So, from the macro huge company standpoint, that has probably had some restrictions, like employees of those companies having some restrictions on the use of of some of this technology. I think some of that stuff starting to roll out right away, and that's going to be really interesting to see how that that gets flowed through as well. And I can't wait to get my hands on it because I've just been waiting for the announcement on our end because I would love to start using some of these things and from like the team's perf- perspective of essentially like i've seen the examples are online i think on youtube you can see them but essentially <laughs> taking a one hour meeting and then at the end of the meeting you can say please create take away the f- uh, the four most important points from this meeting in terms of time spent and consolidate the notes from this all these things like i just can't wait but it's just, like I said, moving that big boat of these uh, massive corporations that are having their IT department say that, well, a bunch of these things, if we wanted to do it right now are not safe, so we cannot you know, run this on our operating systems right now. And then working with Microsoft to develop something because they know they can't fall b- too far behind. I think it's been a, a lot of work uh, for a lot of the people involved in those areas for the last year or so, I'm sure, in a lot of these companies. But I think it's starting to come to fruition that. You know these things are going to be available widespread, even more widespread than they already are
1: in the very short future. Yes, I, <laughs> I, I know that if some of the people that work on our financial team at my firm are going to listen to me being like, you got to learn all the systems. And they're like Joel, you're not even really learning our systems. Um, <laughs> but I do think that there, this is for myself very important. And it's it's funny you mentioned that our the large, the large businesses of canada or even the united states are not going to allow this until they know it's 100 safe which will then be three years too late but get to know it i'm not saying integrate it into your business that's not my suggestion here i'm saying just utilize the get to using the technology so that you can be be a subject matter expert versus your competition this Mm -hmm. is an opportunity for younger people to become more effective and then also have a leg up on on others the the but to me, this is next years or n- the next decades excel. So just get good at it. Yeah, I, I think what, one thing I've noticed from a couple of clients even
0: talking to them is the education piece around certain discussions too. So it would be, hey, I've already done some looking into this rather than coming to your adv- whatever your advisor is um, in, in whatever facet and starting the conversation that call it, you know, level one versus level four. So if you you can already use some of these tools to educate yourself and have a more pointed question or a more pointed discussion with an advisor, because you don't, you're not starting at square one, Mm -hmm. which is not to say that obviously everything that you're going to receive for information is going to be hundred percent correct in the context of what your issue is. But I think it's a great starting point and great leaping off point because I find that sometimes, and I'm sure you would agree, if you're trying to come to a solution with a client, sometimes the discovery phase of that discussion can be sometimes there's inefficiencies with that discovery period, Mm -hmm. whereas you can get, I think, from the information being available at your fingertips you can start getting a good idea of being like well this doesn't apply to me but this does and this is where i want to start my discussion off of so I, i've already seen examples of that where clients have told me they're like well i did some research played around with some chat GPT things on on this specific case and i kind of wanted to talk to you about the specific thing and it's mm-hmm. like well that's way more specific than the call you would have given me a year ago where you would have said i heard from neighbor joe that this was available or this is a a concept or a a tax planning idea etc so I I think it's again like you said it's not it's not a anecdotal thing it's not going to be something that is only applicable to a certain subset of the population this is something that's available for everybody in whatever
1: that whatever walk of life you have yeah equal opportunity here it's not that expensive it's for I, it now. Be, for now. It will be. I'm sure of it. Um, and if you're a creator, it'll probably be free for you. So um, moving on, I'd like to talk a little bit about NHL team valuations.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a good continuation of obviously some of the – we've talked about valuations a bunch and just the interesting pieces that go into that, especially in a private market. As you say, the it's, it's always very interesting to see where –
1: The inefficiencies in it. The inefficiencies in it, We make these price assumptions for a decade of what the teams are valued at. And then once they're finally, they go to market to be sold, Mm. they come in at a different number than what a lot of people assume. Which is like, it's interesting with like the NHL's
0: perspective where you really haven't had a major sale in a long time. Upwards or before this Ottawa sale. Like you had two new teams being injected and we saw that those franchise fees essentially to buy in were, I think it was... $500 Five hundred million or six hundred million, and then it jumped to eight hundred million for Seattle. league. So you, you did see, obviously, like the underlying economics and what the NHL was seeing internally, saying that hey, like these values are going up. But until you, like you said, you actually have a, a sale of an existing franchise, especially one that would have been in the bottom third of the league, if not the bottom quarter of the league, for sure. In More the like Ottawa Senators, 10%. maybe the bottom, yeah. So they that sale went in essentially. Let's just call it a billion dollars rising tides in this example. So they Sportico had released a valuation rank because I think it was earlier this week. The top um seven or eight I think are relatively unchanged. I think they you know Oilers obviously not bears, not not, not taking into account the Oilers two nine and one
1: start. They so actually that, I think in the top what, eight one point five million million billion dollar valuation for the Edmonton Oilers. I would put that at Nine hundred million after last night's <laughs> game. D- Daryl is probably rethinking <laughs> his his market position. I but think he just lost six hundred million dollars in, <laughs> in a matter of eleven games.
0: There was an average increase of twenty nine percent across the board for all of the franchises in the NHL. So the top, the Leafs up at two point six five billion, Rangers two point four five, Canadians two point two seven. There's still a pretty big um valuation gap between 1 and 32 which you don't see the, the same qu- quite type of gap between like 1 and 32 in the NFL or 1 and 30 in the NBA but to see this kind of increase on let's just call it the battling for fourth biggest sporting organization in There's North America battle. I would say MLS and,
1: and, and, and the the NHL oh. yeah
0: yeah NFL NBA Oh cuz we MLB. might be fifth soon. Yeah, I but I just <laughs> in, in general, I was just it was very it's very interesting to see how the the domino effect of the Ottawa sale has said well, private markets and or private um understanding or perspective said that Ottawa is worth $600 million or $550 million. And I will give you credit. I think when we first started talking about them being on the block along with, I think it was like talking about Ottawa and then Manchester United as well, which is still an ongoing saga over what they're going to sell for. But their Denver Broncos had recently closed. So you had a lot of sporting activity all at once and our sporting organization uh, sales kind of going on all at once and being talked about. And you did say, you're like, I think it's going to go for, way more than the six hundred and seven hundred or eight hundred million dollars that they're talking about right now. And that deal ended up closing where I think there was a small equity piece that remained with the with the family, with the Melnick family. Yeah. And then, you know, 90 something percent. So if you took like the full valuation of what the I think it was Anheuser Anhouser Group purchased it for, it was a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And so obviously this market can completely shift in five years with the you know, whatever, maybe not like I was going to say the Arizona Coyotes is probably a really bad example. But if if someone else in like kind of the the middle half of the league sells and it ends up going for the, the market changes a lot, then obviously you're going to see that those valuations get tugged down. But I think this is probably a, I mean, I'm sure Gary's smiling in his office right now.
1: Boys, he's smart. He gets to benefit from it's like saying that, you know, who is a brilliant person? Um, the the person who runs LVMH, what's his name? Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. the The fact of the matter is, there's thousands of billionaires. There's, Bernard Arnault. Yeah, Bernard Al-Null. Um There's thousands of billionaires in the United States, and there's 120 teams to buy. These people have unlimited money, effectively. Mm-hmm. What do they want? How do you one-up the competition when you're a billionaire? You buy something ridiculous, which would be a hockey team or a sports franchise. That is how you separate yourself or, make, or differentiate yourself. What kind of toy do you want that no one can buy? The demand for these things, is gonna to continue to stay high. It's the billionaire's boat. It is. <laughs> like you think yachts is where they flex? Maybe, yeah. but not really. It's, what, what would be more fun than a boat? A, a franchise for all of us guys that sit in group chats talking in an armchair GM sports mm-hmm. franchises we dream of the day of being able to own a team that we can play around with i think that this is the ultimate thing to own for for a large majority of people so th- to think that these fr- these franchise valuations aren't going to go up this is not based on cash flows at all these things do not make money equivalent to the valuation almost a guarantee these mm-hmm. people are buying these based on the equity value event inevitably going up and that they can have fun with them yeah there's a it's, lot of goodwill baked into yeah that. exactly so um when the ottawa centers were going to market it, it has nothing to do with like the assets that they have it's the fact that they are part of a um, constrained market and they're gonna when when you think about gary bettman he is a brand manager he manages an incredibly important brand Mm-hmm. It's it's Gucci to an extent. It's the NFL is Hermes, and we are something much crappier than that. I don't know Balenciaga. I have no idea. <laughs> um, While well, it's still important, though, and when they go oh. to market and they sell a new team every. 15 minutes and they try to, to take the, the league from 30 to 32 to 34 to 36 well
0: that's what's that's the thing is i think to your point about the constrained market they know that the market's constrained and they know that there's the ability to add like they know there's a break-even point essentially yeah as to when that makes sense the nfl is going to do it they they keep we've talked about europe before they've done two games in germany this year two games in london again that's happening there's going to be a europe division or there's going to be teams expanding to south america
1: people in south america don't have enough money i don't think
0: well so i mean it would be very very selective but again like those that thought process is like how do we grow what's in the united what's what's stateside that we can deal with so the nfl is already thinking global the nba I Vancouver. think still has still has spots to grow in North America that they think can make sense especially with their uptick and we know what's coming down the pipe in terms of their new deal um from a we're not going to say necessarily cable we're going to say their content and how they're going to be distributing that it's obviously going to be good because dame lords to be making 68 million dollars <laughs> in a few years or uh Giannis, Sorry, is making 68 million dollars in a year so i think obviously what their predictions are coming down is going to be good so but you, you have these leagues who have the ability to expand in in north america you know two more teams billion dollar franchise fee whatever it's going to be yeah. NFL's thinking about expanding and adding two to four more teams maybe even like I said internationally
1: where are they going to find the, the quarterbacks
0: demand? for that well that's so they don't care about <laughs> like you can argue like again we talked about this four weeks ago five weeks ago the their
1: product the Bears versus the Panthers last Al night? Michaels
0: was calling that game that must have been a career low point for him like probably the greatest play by play guy ever ever and he's calling I don't even... Bryce Young is one of the CFL quarterbacks. Two, <laughs> two high school teams playing in an NFL Thursday night primetime game. And...
1: I was texting Jared. I'm but, like, what is this garbage? And
0: you know why? The numbers were probably still good. And it's all, all Thursday fine. Thursday
1: Nighter from Amazon Prime.
0: That and bet 365. <laughs> and do... Because <laughs> I, I, the memes were crazy yesterday about talking about the worst game on paper. And it's like, how do you get someone... Ex- how do you get a... 35 year old male excited. And it was just someone opening up their bet three, six five app and betting DJ Moore anytime touchdown. And like, that's all that like, there's just, it's so linked. So they, they just have this, we've talked about the, how the size of yeah. and the, the reach and we don't need to repeat it, but it's just that they have this baked in model right now. That's obviously very profitable working. It's working for all of the teams. And again, from the motivation on the owners that are ex- already existing, they're having these discussions and saying, as long as it means more more cash in my pocket, I'm happy to expand.
1: Yeah. Bear's game is better than the oiler game, so whatever. <laughs> should we end on that? Yeah, we should. <laughs> Do you have any recommendations going into the weekend? Long weekend? <sighs> I think
0: obviously uh, Remembrance Day tomorrow, so um, not going to necessarily recommend anything. I don't know, but I, I always, I mean, tradition in my household growing up, and I was always kind of tuning into either something local or, or national. I think Canada does a pretty good job of, of recognizing um, the history that we have. And I feel like as we get further and further removed, obviously, from those first two world wars and all the wars after that, and our um, and our veterans and, and stuff like that, I feel like it's it's incumbent on us to pass that down to our kids and make sure that they are Because I think aware. we're failing,
1: so it would be well, really I, important. Yeah, I, I don't,
0: yeah, I, I guess anecdotally I have some evidence to say I feel like that that is happening but again I I think it's I think we still have time obviously to switch that and I just feel like it's such an important it was such an important piece of our schooling when we were coming up to like it was very I felt like where we grew up anyways like in all of our elementary schools and junior highs and high schools there was always time spent to discuss it and talk about it and it was a big part of our history learnings like in social studies and stuff like that learning about that piece of history now i think there's a lot more of history that's becoming uncovered over time that we need to also acknowledge but i feel like that doesn't that should not um not discount what remembrance day means and uh what you know remembering that time in our history so i feel like we i think i said i think we do do a good job of it um but that'll be what you know tomorrow morning i got hockey with the kid at 8:15, we'll get back and then I'm going to make sure that. That's one um, of my
1: strongest memories actually is when on November 11th, when I played hockey, when we were all playing hockey growing up and we had practice on, on November 11th Yeah, and you would stand if on you were, the ice if, yeah. at that time. Yeah. I'll never, I'll never forget that. Yeah. I, so,
0: so it's that creating those moments where like, that's like, again, ingrained in our kids and stuff like that too. Right. So that's what I'm going to be doing on Saturday anyways is Yeah getting to the hockey rink at 8.15 and getting home, having some brunch and then making sure that we're Dinner tuning in. Silence.
1: Yeah. I, I, I echo that for sure. Um, and if you have any other spare time, I recommend um, Lessons in History on Apple. Mm. Kudos to my mom for putting me onto this one. Shadow Carry.: Yeah, really good show, honestly. Me and Adrian are finally able to agree on a show to watch, and yeah, lessons in, his, in lessons in chemistry is really congratulations. Good. I know, very difficult to do.
0: <laughs> um. We just finished actually the it came out a while ago, but I think it just got released on Netflix like less than a month ago. Working moms, so that was a Canadian. Oh show yeah, Adrian CBC. loves working moms. Yeah, like one of those like office Parks and Rec kind of like something that's easy to watch kind of thing, twenty five minute episodes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Canadian content yeah I mean obviously driven created by women as well yeah. which is like I mean pretty unique um, in terms of just like the the whole cast basically being based off that That's super good seven seasons they went for which is pretty amazing for a Canadian produced show um, terribly funny like it is it, like it's yeah. it's very good um, especially like I mean my wife like dies laughing at some of the like certain mom <laughs> Yeah, like they they do a good job of saying the difficult things yeah and, and so, and, and as a, you know, probably like not their marquee demographic. viewer demographic, like I still find there's a lot of humor in it and, yeah. and I enjoy watching it. So, uh, support Canadian content or whatever, I think, cause I think that's, that was their final season. So, but yeah, full seven seasons are on Netflix and easy watch
1: and good for a few laughs before bed. Wicked. Well, Cam pray for the Oilers. I'll talk to you next week. See you Friday.